This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. God is good. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. I'd love to say that because all over the Old Testament, that's what they would. They, you know, King David said that all the time. And I remember when they would go into battle, that's what they would say. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Well, we've got a message for you this morning that comes straight uh, from the words of Jesus himself. Amen. And it's this question that he asked the disciples. He asked, who do you say I am? And before we get into this, if you need an outline for the sermon, raise your hand and the ushers will give you an outline so you can follow along and and uh, and see what we've got going on here. But Jesus asked this question, who do you say I am? So I want you to open up this morning to Mark chapter eight, Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight, we're going to look at verses twenty seven through thirty. And here's Jesus speaking to his disciples here. And I, and I love to watch the, the conversations and the dialogue that, that Jesus had with the disciples because, you know, Jesus was, he was so bold. He was so full of truth. And, and, and he, he asked the, the, the deep questions sometimes. And, and, you know, sometimes we say one thing. Well, you're this, Jesus. But he's like, no, 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 no. He wants to know the truth. So Mark chapter 8. Verses 27 through 30, it says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the prophets. Well, look what Jesus goes to next. He says, he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. And Matthew and Luke also record this story. And they add that he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about this. But 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 check this out. Jesus knew who he was, right? Do you think Jesus was having an identity crisis? I don't even know who I am anymore, man. This world's crazy. Who, who am I? No, Jesus knew who he was. But listen, Just like he asked those guys and just like he's asking you, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Because Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself into your life and and be something in your life. You know, some people are like, well, I'd like him to be my healer, but I don't think he's my. Well, fine. He's not going to come in and force healing upon you if you don't receive it by faith. He's not going to come in and, and, you know, some people, they just flat out refuse to believe in God. Listen, he doesn't come in and force you to go to heaven and receive Jesus. You have to say, I believe, Jesus, that you're my savior. I believe, Jesus, that you're my healer. The question that he asked Peter is being asked to you today in 2017. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And it's unique because we know in studying the Old Testament that the the Hebrew people, they they had so much reverence and respect for God that they didn't even dare attempt to pronounce his name or spell his name. They they would write his name Y-H-W and they didn't even put any any vowels in there because they didn't want to risk screwing up God's name. They took God's name so serious. That's why I don't like it when I hear people in our day and age, oh my God. 
Serious? You're going to use God's name like that? Jesus Christ. Listen, man, what is wrong with you when you would say something like that? I mean, we need to have a little respect for the name of the Almighty, right? He's Almighty God. You don't screw around with that stuff, man. That's serious business right there. And so he comes in and he says, who do you say I am? Well, the the, the, the Jewish disciples, man, they got this. This phrase, I am was what God told Moses to say to the Egyptians. Moses says, okay, fine, I'll go talk to Pharaoh, but who am I going to say sent me? He's like, you just tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. What is I am? He, he am, I am whatever you need me to be. You need healing? I am healing. You need prosperity? You need provision? I am provision. You need salvation? I am salvation. You need peace, joy, love? I am all of those things. But Jesus comes in and he says, I get it. I get it. I know what everybody else is saying about me, guys. But who do you say I am? Because you have to make a decision about Jesus. You have to make a decision about who you believe he is. I've made my decision. I believe that he's my savior. He's my Lord. He's almighty God. He's the prince of peace. He's a, I believe he's all these. I made that. But I can't decide that for you. You're going to have to decide who you believe Jesus is. Now, your decision doesn't change the fact that he is who he is, but it does change what he's going to do in your life. If you want to reject him, that's up to you. That's fine. You, you can, you can re- choose to reject him. He will not force you to receive him. But that doesn't change the fact that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes under the Father except through Jesus Christ. There's one God, and, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Jesus, he asked this question, who do you say I am? And I believe that he's asking you that question today, and you're going to have to decide, okay, He's either all or he's nothing. He's either uh, he's either the truth or he's a complete lie. And he's made up this lie that's lasted for thousands of years. But that's not what it is. He is the way, the truth and the life. You're going to have to receive that into your life today. Amen. And so who do you say I am? I say Jesus is anything that I need in my life. He's the answer. That's who he is. But you got to decide today. Amen. So let's go ahead and pray. And we're going to get into this message. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for your your word, Lord, your unchanging word that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thank you that you don't change who you are based upon popular opinion or, or, or what, what year it is, Lord. You're the same. You have never changed because you're perfect and perfection never needs to change because it just can't get any better. We love you, Lord, and I pray today that you're going to open up our hearts to hear your word and you're going to show us what we need to see, Lord, even if it rubs us the wrong way. Lord, even if it makes us uncomfortable, give us your truth today so we can be who you created us to be. We thank you for it. In Jesus name, everybody said amen. So what I'm going to look at today is five things that I have decided Jesus is to me. Now you, you make up your own list. You just listen to me, share my heart for a minute, but five things right here that I know Jesus is to me. And and there's many more than just this five, but come on, I've got like an hour here. I can't go all day. You get it right? I could if you want to, but let's stick to five. Number one, I say that Jesus is my savior. And by savior, I don't just mean he's my fire insurance ticket out of hell. Salvation is a lot more than just avoiding hell. But we're going to look at that in a minute. I want to look here at Luke chapter two, verse 11. Luke chapter two, verse 11. Now, if you're familiar with Luke two, you know that it is the Christmas story. 
Who loves Christmas? I'm, oh, that was cute. But who who really loves Christmas? Dude. This guy loves Christmas, dude. I love ugly sweaters, sitting around the fire with hot cocoa, cheesy smiles, man, everything. I love it. I can't wait. And my, my passion for Christmas multiplied by a thousand after I moved to the desert in the summertime. And it was like a billion degrees. I'm like, dude, wintertime, sweaters, coldness. This is, I mean, I love Christmas. And so here we are, even in the month of August, we're going to read a little bit of the Christmas story today. We're going to look at a couple of Christmas verses because you know that this isn't just restricted to December. You can, it's okay to read Luke two every month of the year and no one's going to get mad. It's, it's okay. But Luke chapter two, Verse 11, Luke 2, verse 11, and, and this is the angels appearing to the shepherds out in the field. And this is what they tell them. They say, the Savior, say Savior. Yes, the Messiah, which is what Peter said, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so they come and one of the very first things said about Jesus is, he is the Savior. And so I'm saying boldly, unashamedly, Jesus is my Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of the living God. And, and, and listen, these, these shepherds, this is a big moment in time. You know, we, some, we see the kids, you know, they get up here in their little robes and stuff at Christmas. And the, we always have the most adorable Christmas play in the world. I love it. But it's, it's so much bigger than just a cute little Christmas play. These shepherds, they've been waiting. They've been hearing for their whole lives. There's a Messiah. There, there's going to be a Messiah come one day and ransom his people and, and save his people. And, and here they are in a field in the middle of the night in the dark. And all of a sudden, the heavenly hosts show up. And you've got to realize that, that not all the angels in the Bible are chubby little white babies playing harps on a cloud. Okay? That's, that's cool. That's cute. But we're talking about warriors. The heavenly host is the army of heaven. And they show up and light up the entire sky. And these shepherds are terrified. And all of a sudden, they say, listen, we're bringing good news. The Savior of the world has been born tonight in the city of Bethlehem. And these guys are like, oh my God, is this for real? This is true? And they got it. And listen to me. You've got to get this, that Jesus is our Savior and salvation Savior. Listen to me, please. It is more than just skipping hell. Salvation is the deluxe package. Salvation is more than just skipping hell. It is, I mean, it's you supersized your combo when you got saved. You, you added cheese to the Whopper. Okay, you, you got fancy. You got a bigger deal than you even understand. And so salvation comes from a Greek word called soteria. And salvation, and in, in its full meaning, it means welfare, prosperity, deliverance, preservation, Salvation and safety. Salvation is, is, is part of that. And most of our guys that translated the Bible, they, they stuck to that one. But listen, salvation, it means provision. It means deliverance. Has anyone in here ever needed delivered? Thank God you've got a savior because that's part of salvation. Has anyone in here ever needed provision? You just didn't have enough on your own. I have. And guess what? I'm saved. I have salvation and my Savior provided because that is part of salvation. 
It's more than just getting a, you know, a ticket out of hell and a, and a ticket into heaven. Listen to me. Salvation is a big deal. It provides your healing, your peace, your prosperity. It provides deliverance. If you need delivered from something, if you're in a bad spot that you don't know how to get out of, salvation. And so this verse, Luke 2, 11, that says the Savior is born. My God, that is one of the most profound, powerful things that has ever been said in the history of the world. The Savior is here. He's been born. He's alive. The Savior is here. That's big news if you've ever needed a Savior. And guess what? You've needed a Savior and you do need a Savior. And Jesus was born. Can you imagine if Jesus had never been born? If we didn't have this Christmas story? I don't know where my life would be, but I guarantee you my life would be an absolute mess. Listen to me. Listen to me. What if Jesus decided to not die on the cross and, and, and complete the salvation plan? What if Jesus didn't raise from the dead? Do you realize these basic Christian truths that we all know? I know he died and rose again. I get it. Praise God. No, listen. Do you understand the impact that Jesus not only was born, that he died? And then he didn't stay dead. He rose again. My God, he made a way for you to not only go to heaven. You don't have to be depressed in this life. You can have the joy of the Lord. You don't have to have turmoil and chaos. You can have the peace of God. You don't have to, to you know, live a life of sickness and disease or, or poverty and, and, and all this stuff. Jesus came and paid the price and made a way for you to have salvation and salvation encompasses everything that you need. Salvation is it. And Jesus made that happen. And so I'm telling you what, man, I can live a thousand lives and never have enough time to say thank you for what you did for me. Thank you, Jesus. We can never repay him. But guess what? He's not even asking to be paid back. All he's asking is just live for me. Just do things my way. That's all I want from you. Just live for me and receive the gift I gave you. That's pretty good news. And guess what? We got the better end of that deal right there. You know what I mean? He said, you give me you give me your mess of a life and I'll give you my salvation. I'll give you life and life more abundantly. That's a pretty not fair deal right there, because what I had to give Jesus was minuscule compared to what he had to give me. I got the better end of that one. And guess what? I'm going to receive it and I'm going to receive salvation and I'm going to dance my way into heaven someday because of what Jesus did, not because of what I did. Amen. Amen. And so I say Jesus is my savior. Salvation is the deluxe package. It doesn't get any better than that. But let's break it down a little bit more. Number two, I say Jesus is my peace. Who in here has an appreciation for peace? I love peace. I love peace. And I realize, you know, me and Katie have been talking about this. That doesn't mean that the house is always quiet. Because when you've got four kids, your house is never quiet. Not even at nighttime. You hear noises. And, and so we've got a dog. We added a cat while I was in Boston a few weeks ago. And then we added this week a crab and three fish. Like the, My house just keeps getting stranger and stranger. And so on the way home, we bought these fish in Victorville on Friday night. On the way home, the guy at, at the store, he puts the crab in one bag and the fish in another little bag. Okay, so we started out with um, three or four. How many fish? 
three fish. Okay. And so the kids, you know, kids like I want to hold the bag. No, I want to hold the bag. And so between passing the bag back and forth, the fish bag dropped in the van and burst open on the side of the freeway. I've got live fish flopping all over my minivan. Trying, just, I'm just trying to live my life, man. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not trying to do, I'm not asking for much. I just want peace. And so I have to pull over and I'm, I'm grabbing this fish. The kids are crying. And so I, I only found two of the fish, though. The third one, I didn't find until way later that night. <laughs> Tragically, he didn't survive that mess. And so one fish lost his life that night. But I will tell you this. That my children now understand why daddy wants peace in the van, peace in this world, because when there's chaos, bad things happen, bad things happen. And so anyway, uh, what was that? What was that? One? That was Goldie or Spiky or something. Anyway, Goldie is now in my front yard somewhere and praise God. Uh, peace. We all we're all just we're searching for peace. Amen. But the good news is that Jesus provides peace. And so I want to show you Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. Can you handle one more of these Christmas verses for me? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the book of Isaiah, what a prophetic book, man. It, it prophesies so many things that happen, way, and even things that are happening in our day and age. But he prophesied about Jesus being born like a thousand years before he came. And he also prophesied the death of Jesus. I mean, in exact details. This is incredible. You can't tell me that the Bible's not true. How could it get that precise detail a thousand years before something even happened? And then he also prophesied this king named Cyrus would come and rescue the Jewish people. I mean, it's incredible, man. He named the guy by name 150 years before he was even born. It's incredible. Sorry if I'm getting nerdy on you, but I'm just saying, check it out. I love the Bible. It is true. Every last word of it. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six says, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. Here we go. Wonderful counselor. Yes, he is. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. There it is. Jesus, before he was ever even born, is called the Prince of Peace. And I can tell you what, man, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When he comes, Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings peace. And I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've been in that moment of chaos, that moment of the storm, that moment of not having peace and just simply saying the name of Jesus, just calling on the name of the Lord can bring peace into the worst situation you've ever been in. How how can that be if it's just a name? Well, the truth of the matter is it's not just a name. This is the name of Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and He is the Prince of Peace. Jesus brings peace whenever He comes in. And, and, I, and I, I look back on this Christmas story, and, and I imagine that night, here they are, you know, there's no, there's no room in the inn, okay? You know, they've tried, they done tried Motel 6, the Super 8, and the Travel Lodge. There's no room anywhere to go. And so, here they are, and, and, and the last place, you all know this, is a barn. Can you imagine the most important person in human history was not born in a palace? 
wasn't even born in a, in a hospital or a motel. The most important person this world has ever seen was born in a barn, laid in, beside some cows and camels and donkeys in their feeding trough. Isn't that incredible? And I'll bet on this night, you know, we know that Mary, scholars tell us, was between 13 and 16 years of age. So we got Joseph and Mary, a couple of teenage kids here, having a baby. Joseph's already got questions going on. How is she pregnant? She says God made her. I don't know. But I mean, this is a, it's, it's a, we don't know. It's just a strange thing here. But, but here they are. And then there's not even room anywhere for the baby to be born. So he's born in a barn. And I can just imagine as baby Jesus came into this world in the middle of this, what we would call bad situation, I'll bet. Peace instantly arrived amongst all those people. The heavens were singing. The angels were there. People, you know, all this stuff. I'll bet there was just peace when Jesus showed up on the scene. Why? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in my life, he's who I look to for peace. Because guess what? Money cannot buy you peace, can it? You can have a billion dollars and be the most miserable wretch on this earth, man. Money doesn't bring peace. You see, people try to find peace by finding the right person that they love. Listen to me. People don't bring peace. Serious? You can marry the most beautiful woman in the world, the most handsome guy in the world. And that's not going to give you peace because people are not responsible for our peace. People do not produce peace. Money doesn't bring peace. There's only one source, only one avenue to peace. And that's the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying, who do you say I am? Well, I say, Jesus, you're my savior. Jesus, you are my source of peace. And I want to show you this story here in Mark chapter four, Mark chapter four. And, you know, in my life, I I can't believe how many times that I found myself in the middle of the chaos. But the Prince of Peace arrives on the scene and he calms the seas. Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 37 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 37 through 41. And so here we are, the disciples get on their boat. It's evening time. They're crossing the, crossing the, the waters there. Look at verse 37. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And I don't know about you, but that's actually pretty scary, dude. You know, I've just been out on the ocean in pretty calm waters, and it's kind of all over the place. But here they are out there, and a storm so fierce comes, the boat's doing this, and there's water crashing into the boat. That would be scary. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Jesus doesn't even wake up from his nap in the middle of the storm. Look at this. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the wave, silence or peace, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm Because Jesus knows how to bring peace. He knows how to bring calm right in the middle of the storm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so they're still trying to figure out who is this man? And so Jesus, he's asking, who do you say I am? But here they are in the midst of a storm. And Jesus is going to sleep right through the whole thing. If they had not came and woke Jesus up, he would have slept right through the whole storm. Why? Because storms don't intimidate Jesus. You may be scared about the storm you're in right now, but Jesus isn't scared. He's so full of peace. He is just he's doing so good that he can just sleep right through the whole thing. And notice they had to call upon Jesus in that situation. Jesus didn't just wake up and say, oh, storms, let me go take care of everybody's problems. People have to call upon Jesus. Listen, it's not enough to just have problems for God to come in and fix the situation. Everybody's got problems, but it's those who call on the name of the Lord that are saved. And so isn't it ironic in this situation that they had to get up and call upon Jesus to fix the situation? It astounds me how many people I know that are surrounded by problems. They sure enough are in the storm and they're hoping it'll get better, but they still just don't call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, You've got to call upon Jesus for him to come in and rescue you out of the situation. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Well, at this point in time, I'd say Savior would be a pretty good thing to say Jesus is. Because guess what? They need a delivered from the storm. And that's part of what salvation is. It's deliverance. And so they called on Jesus and the Savior, the deliverer, the Prince of Peace came and pulled them and calmed the storm. And it says instantly there was calm. Notice how quick Jesus can fix our problems. And how long it takes us when we try to do it our own way. Jesus can do something in one second that you couldn't do in a hundred years. Jesus can do something in in one second that this earth couldn't do in 10,000 years because he is the almighty and you are not. And I am not. And nobody else is because there's one God, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so he is our peace, the prince of peace. The next thing that I'm going to say Jesus is, is Jesus is my provider. It's pretty good to have a provider, isn't it? And as I said in offering time, I am so grateful that my provision is not limited to me. I mean, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do my part, no doubt about it. But listen, my provision and my welfare and my 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 income is not totally dependent upon me or this world or any person. It's dependent upon God and my relationship and my submission to his word. Amen. And I've heard Kenneth Copeland say, you know, and in, in his and in, in his meetings and stuff, listen, my my provision isn't dependent upon your giving or the people's giving. My provision is dependent upon my giving. If I give and I obey God and I do things his way, he's going to make sure that I'm taken care of no matter what. And so we also we think that provision just has to do with money. And so let's correct this right now, because that's a terrible way to think that the only way for God to meet your needs and and take care of your food and your bills and your clothes is money. If you think that's the only avenue that God has to take care of your needs, then you're very much limiting God. 
Don't limit God to money. Are you serious? Do you think that's the only way that he could come through and take care of, of, of your provision and your needs is simply through United States currency? If you're limiting God to that, man, wow, that, that's, that's a narrow view of our provider because he doesn't need money to take care of all your needs. And I'm going to show you something right here. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 37. Check this out. And so Jesus, he had been preaching to a large crowd. We know there were at least 5,000 men in the crowd, not including the women and children. And so this crowd could have been anywhere 10, 15,000 people, maybe even bigger. But here he is. He's been preaching to all these people for several days. And the disciples, they come up and say, hey, we ought to send the people to get food. You know, I mean, we got to do something about this situation. They're going to get hungry on their way home. They're going to pass out. It's going to be a bad situation. They've been here listening and they haven't eaten for a really long time, Jesus. And so look what happens here. Mark chapter six, verse thirty seven. And actually, if you if you look at verse thirty six, it won't be on the screen, but the disciples said, send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, no, you feed them with what they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. And so their instant thought was, "Okay, feed thousands of people. We got to come up with money really, really quick to go and take care. Do you realize how stupid? What if Jesus right then had just made thousands of dollars appear? Do you realize that at that situation that they were in? Money would not have done any good. You realize they didn't have a super Walmart and a Vons and a Stater Brothers and even a Food for Less to go to and buy food for. Th- they didn't even have Costco, man. Serious. I mean, that place is huge. You got a roll of biscuits. You got to like roll it out to your car. It's like that. I mean, even in mass quantities, check it out. Money would not have helped that situation at all, because at that point, you're going to have to go find some place to sell you food for 10,000 people. You're going to have to make a giant fire. You're going to have to prepare the food. You're going to have to find utensils to cook the food in. Money was not the answer to their provision. The answer lied in what they already possessed. Jesus said, "Okay, well, what do we got here? We got a few pieces of fish few pieces of bread. Check this out. And he starts multiplying and providing from what they already had. They were asking for money. He said, listen, I don't have no problem with money, but money's not what you need right now. You need me to provide in a different way. And so Jesus, being who he is, the savior, the deliverer, the provider, he just takes what they already have and feeds thousands and thousands of people with that. And he did it instantly. Going to the store and buying food, that would have taken a super long time to do that. But Jesus used what they already had because his ways are higher than our ways. He's a lot smarter than we are. I, didn't, I wouldn't have seen that one coming. I, would, I, I mean, that, they didn't see this coming. But Jesus used what they already have. And sometimes we're sitting there, well, why doesn't God just, you know, how, I don't get it. I've been praying and no one's cut me a check for a million dollars yet. I've been playing the lottery for years and I still haven't won. That's your financial plan? Anyway, we won't go there. But, but here we are. 
I mean, you're like, well, 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 why? I mean, how come the big one hasn't come through the big? And listen, you're limiting God to just that one avenue for your provision. What if you just said, God, you said you provide all my needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Whatever way you want to provide, you just go ahead and do that. If you want to take something I've got right here and multiply it, fine by me. If you wanted to send in mucho dinero, that's fine by me. If you want it any way you want to do it, you're God and I'm not. You're smarter than I am. And when we realize that and all we say is, Jesus, you're my provider, not Jesus, you're my ATM. Jesus, you're my provider. He will provide for all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. He'll provide for our needs. But we've got to look at the big picture of who Jesus really is. And I'll bet the disciples that day, they were super happy that Jesus didn't do things their way and he did things his way. And so we need to know that Jesus doesn't need your money to take care of your needs. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than this. And if it's a money problem, he can show you how to get some money or in some cases have it delivered to you, whatever he needs to do. But all you need to know is Jesus, you're my provider. And let me show you something in case you're still not getting this. I see the wheels turning in some, some heads here, but it's still some of us aren't getting this. Galatians 4 verse 7. Check this out. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7. Now, this is this is one of those verses that you should get excited about. This is one of those verses that if you're not a hand raiser, your hand should at least come to the waist. Okay, we'll get you here. You will get here. But for now, which is Galatians chapter four, verse seven. Now, check this out. It says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You are a son. You are a daughter of God almighty. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. That's big news, people. That is big news right there because he's the almighty. And he said, you're not you know, you're not just someone in the world. You're my son. You're my daughter. And listen, if your dad's the king, if your dad's the president, you don't have to walk around all, all timid and fearful. Oh, man, what are they going to do to me today? I'm going to get picked on. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. No, listen, you are you're not getting it. I, I know. But just try, please. You are a daughter. Your dad is God Almighty. Your dad is the one that created everything we see. He owns, I mean, in the Genesis says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, man. And what does that mean? That means he's super rich. He's got everything that you need. Why do we go through this life timid and afraid and shy and bashful and, and worried and fearful when our dad isn't? He's the one that made this whole thing, man. He's our dad. And, you know, I think about this. The richest person in modern history is John D. Rockefeller. And you, you know your history a little bit, but his net worth in 2017 would be three hundred and forty billion dollars. 
Now, to put that in perspective, the current richest man in the world is Bill Gates. He won the award again this year, according to Forbes magazine. He's worth $90 billion. John Rockefeller is worth $340 billion. Now, check it out. He was a good man. He was a tither, too. I've, I've read books on him. And he was a good man. He served. He actually swept the floors in his church. He served in his church. And he's like the richest man that we've seen ever. It's incredible. He was a godly man. But check this out. Can you imagine anybody with the Rockefeller name on the street begging? Say, I don't know, man. I, 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 I just don't get it. I, I don't know. I wish I had enough. Can you, can you help me out? Listen, this man was so stinking rich. He took care of his children, his grandchildren, and probably a hundred generations of Rockefellers after him. $340 billion. Now, my dad, I'm not talking about Pastor Samples. He's awesome and great, and he's provided for me and been the most amazing dad that I could have asked for. But my dad, my heavenly father, do you realize that $340 billion to him is, is, is nothing? That, you know, Revelation 21 tells us that heaven, not just the streets, it says heaven is made out of pure gold. Pure gold, so beautiful and, 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 and pristine that, that it's as clear as glass. Do you realize that right now that gold goes for $1,200 an ounce? Do you realize what one block of heaven would be worth? Way more than $340 billion. And so if the Rockefellers don't have to worry about their provision, why should you? You're a daughter. You're a son of God Almighty. Man, you should say, Jesus, I say you're my provider. You are my savior. You're my peace. You're my provider. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to get mine from because it comes from Jesus Christ the almighty God. And he said in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, that the people of this world, they worry about where their food and shelter and clothing is going to come from. He said, don't worry about that stuff. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The world will kill people for these things. You don't have to do that. You don't just have to give it to you, man. It'll be added unto you if you seek first the kingdom of God, man. It's a little quiet in this Pentecostal church today. I'm thinking, geez, did I turn something? He's our provider and we are heirs of God Almighty. And the sad thing is this, is that way too many people are not taking advantage of the benefits of being a child of the king. I've heard this old story. Maybe you've heard it back in the early 20th century. This guy from Europe bought a boat ticket to sail from Europe to America to start his new life. And so he saved up everything and got this boat ticket and he gets on the boat. He brought along some food like cheese and crackers, little things to survive the trip. And so they get over here to the United States and he comes out of his room like, oh, here we go. People are getting ready to get off the boat. Hey, where have you been this whole time, man? We saw you get on the boat, but we, we didn't know what happened. We haven't seen you anywhere. This, what, what, what's going on? Where have you been? He's like, well, I, you know, I've just been doing my thing by myself. And they're like, how come you didn't come eat dinner with us? Every single night, we had a great big dinner in the main cabin. And, 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 and the, the, the captain came down and, and we partied and had all this food every single night. Why weren't you there? Well, to be honest, I'm a little embarrassed, but I only had enough money for the ticket. I didn't have enough money for food on the way over here. And they said, listen. The food and the meals was part of the price of the ticket. 
It wasn't extra. It was part of the price. The price was already paid. You could have been eating and dining and feasting with everybody else this whole time. You missed out, man. And the problem was this guy didn't know what belonged to him and what had been paid for. And way too many Christians don't know what belongs to them and what has already been paid for. When Jesus came to this earth, he made the way. For everything we could possibly ever need. But here we are. Well, I'm just hoping to get to heaven some. I'm not asking for much. I'm not just, just a little shack on the side of a hill up there. You kidding me, man? I want my mansion. <laughs> call me selfish. That's fine. You can call all day long. But guess what? It says, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Guess what? I don't want a shack on the side of the hill if everybody else has got a mansion. I'll be glad to be there. But if he's making me a mansion... I want my mansion and I'm going to get it someday. Amen. Because if he paid the price, why not, man? Why not? If it's been paid for, why not enjoy all the benefits that Jesus has to offer? And I just don't get some people that say things like, well, I don't I don't want to bother God. I'll just I guess this sickness is my burden to bear. It's my thing. It's my man. Shut up. He paid the price. It says by Jesus stripes, you were healed. He's a good father. He doesn't want his kids sick and mangled. Listen, he's a good father. He wants you to have life and life more abundantly. And we limit God to our little brains and to what we can. Well, I just couldn't fathom those type of blessings. Well, listen, it's not about what you can fathom. It's what Jesus paid for. All you got to do is believe what Jesus did. Amen. And so Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? I know what I know what everyone else says, but who do you say I am? You've got to answer that question. Well, I say you're my savior and I say you're, you're you're my peace. You're my provider. And the next thing I'm going to say to Jesus is I say that you're my healer. Jesus is my healer. Now, well, that sounds pretty presumptuous. Well, guess what? I mean, you all know my story, but but I'm pretty glad that my parents didn't think it was too presumptuous to say that Jesus is the healer when I got leukemia. You know, other people, oh, man, that, that, that's not good. Listen. They said, Jesus, your healer. And he healed me. And I'm, I'm thankful that every day of my life that I'm alive and I didn't die when I was a little kid. But check it out. You've got to get to the place. And sometimes, yeah, it's a little gutsy to step out in the midst of everything surrounding you. The enemy closing in. The boat's rocking. It's a little gutsy. It takes a little courage to step out there and say, no. Jesus, I will say in front of all these people here right now, you are my healer. Jesus, you are my provider. Jesus, you are my strength. You are my source of joy, even if nobody else thinks so. I'll say in front of this whole world that I'm making it out of this situation. I don't care if it doesn't look like it. I don't care. Jesus, you're coming through for me. Jesus, you're the way. Jesus, I'm giving it to you. I don't care what everybody else says. And I like what what King David said to Solomon. David was at the end of his life on his deathbed. First Kings 2, 2. And uh, and so he's talking to his son, his final words. And he says this to Solomon. He says, I'm getting ready to die. Let's not let's not kid ourselves here. I'm old. I'm an old man. I've lived a great life. There's no shame in him dying. But he says, Solomon, take courage and be a man. And I'm like, dude, yeah. He says, come on, be a man, get some guts, be courageous, dude. Don't be a little sissy. And I wish all of us could get a hold of this 
And then in all of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, I think verse 3, it says, man, be courageous, be bold, and be a man. We need some people to stand up and say, man, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to say, Jesus, yeah, I believe you. I'm full of courage and I'm going to step up. I'm not going to be a sissy anymore. I'm going to be a man just like David was. I'm going to be a man just like Daniel and Noah and Moses and Samson and, and all these guys and step up to the plate and be courageous and have enough guts in the face of the giant standing right there to say, you are going to die. I'm going to kill you and I'm going to cut your head off and feed it to the birds. Come on. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry if we're getting a little bit too much, but but check it out. What if David had just come up and said, Goliath, please leave us alone, dude. You've been picking on us for months now. Forty days. You just won't quit. You're mean. Telling the enemy that they're mean, I mean, that just feeds their fire even more. You just, if all you do is talk about how much the devil's doing, talk about, well, it's bad, he... The devil's chasing me. His bad and it's getting worse. Hold the fort. He's coming. It's going to get worse. And people say junk like that, man. All that is doing is praising the devil and talking about how powerful he is when you should be praising God and saying, my God is big. There's no one like him. His hand is so big that he can hold all the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of what's going to come against me. We've got to get some guts about us and be like David and Solomon and Paul and say, I'm going to be courageous, man. I don't care if it makes me look like a fool and nobody else is with me. If God is for me, who can be against me? Amen. And so we need some people with some guts. Some people with some courage. And so Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, you've you got to get to this place where you can say in the midst of it all, with everybody looking, with the enemy surrounding, where you can say, Jesus, you're my healer. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. It says this, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. And moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly... The leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Well, notice right here. What did Jesus say? It's not my will to heal you. No, he said, I am. There's the phrase again all over the place. I am willing to heal you. And Jesus reached out, touched him, and instantly the leprosy disappeared from his body. This is incredible. But this man, he had to come to the realization that Jesus is my healer. And there's so many stories in the gospel. Do your own research. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I defy you to find one place where somebody came to Jesus for healing. Just find one spot where he said, it's not my will to heal you. I don't want to heal you. Find, if you find that one place, I will write you a check for $10,000. Because guess what? I've read all four of them dozens of times, and there's not one person that ever came to Jesus, and Jesus said, it's not my will to help you out. No, I mean, this guy over here, but not this, no, not you. No, that's not my will. My will is for you to suffer and die and live a pathetic life. I, I, that's what I want. No, never did he say that every single time when somebody said, if you're willing, 
100% of the time, Jesus said, oh, I'm willing. Be healed. And he always said, according to your faith, be it done unto you. And so it's up to us calling on Jesus, and we got to believe that it's really going to happen. And so here we are yet again where Jesus says, no, I, I'm willing. It's my will. I want to heal you. I want to change your life forever. And we've got to get to that place where we believe it. And so I believe Jesus is my healer. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you also need to receive him as your healer. First Peter 2.24 talks about when Jesus was dying on the cross. It says, by his stripes, we were healed. What are the stripes? Well, every time they laid that whip on his back, it, it left stripes. It left scars. And by his wounds... By his stripes, by the beating he took, that paid the price for healing for us. And so a lot of us, we receive Jesus. We have no doubt whatsoever that Jesus wants us to go to heaven. But there's a lot of people that have just never received Jesus into their life as their healer. And we've got to do that. We've got to receive him and say, I say, Jesus, you're my healer. And he can use any avenue to heal me he wants to. He can use a doctor. He can use medicine. I'm totally fine with that. All I know is that Jesus wants me healed. Jesus wants me healthy. Jesus wants me to have life and life more abundantly. John 10, 10. So check it out. Jesus is my healer. And if you don't believe it, ask one of the kids at this church. I dare you. Ask any child that has gone to this church for any amount of time. If Jesus heals, they will tell you, oh, yeah, absolutely. They're convinced. And, you know, oftentimes if I need prayer for healing, this isn't a joke. I will go to one of the children and ask them to pray for me because I know they believe it. Even when the adults are like, I don't know, man, that's that's no, that's nasty. I don't know. Listen, no, the kids, they believe that Jesus is a healer. And I've told this story, but one time I was loading the kids into the car. I, we had I don't know how many kids we had at that time, a bunch. Three kids, all right. And so I'm loading them into the back of the Nissan Sentra. And you haven't had fun until you've squeezed three car seats into the back of a Nissan Sentra. And to close the door, I literally had to go and hit it with my, because they wouldn't close. It was bad. We, it was getting bad. And so I'm loading one of the kids in the middle and I pulled something in my back. And believe me, I'm not joking. I pulled something in my back. It hurt bad. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And, you know, the kids are like, what's going on, Daddy? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, and, and here I am thinking, like, what am I going to do? I mean, I, this, this, this is bad. And so I realized, wait a minute. Joel, lay hands on Daddy right now. Pray for healing. And he's like, you know, just something simple. Dear Jesus, heal Daddy's back. Thank you that he's healed. And God is my witness. That pain left my body in that instant. I mean, it was gone, dude. And so Jesus is my healer and the children believe it. And isn't it funny that Jesus told adults, unless you become like a child, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven. This is a totally separate sermon. But why didn't Jesus ever say to the children, you guys need to be more like the adults. If you're going to get into heaven, be like the he. No, he said, you adults, man, take a lesson from these kids. You need to be like kids. It's not Jesus loved kids. Anyway, that's a totally separate sermon. So um, Jesus is my healer. And the last thing I'll say is this. I mean, you can't wrap it up. any. I, if, if we did this list, it'd go on for thousands of things that Jesus is to us. But the last thing we can say is this, is that Jesus is my everything. Anything that I need, Jesus has got the answer to it. 
anything that we need. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Jesus is my everything. And I, I remember Dr. Barclay said that there's a lot of things in this world that I love with all my heart, but I would survive without. You know, I mean, I love my my family more than, you know, just beyond belief. I love them. I love my church. I love you guys. And, and but I mean, if you break it down, the truth of the matter is if we even if we lose a loved one, we still go on because we've got God. But but check this out. Jesus is is everything. I, I couldn't go on without Jesus. If Jesus decided to, to, to just quit this whole thing, this whole Savior thing, listen to me. I can't imagine five minutes without Jesus. I, I, you know, maybe I'm just super weak, and that's fine, because when I'm weak, then he is strong, according to, to Corinthians. But, but listen, I am so weak on my own that I couldn't exist like five minutes without Jesus. I mean, my whole thing would just crumble, and I'd be, I would be gone. Jesus is everything. And, and I know, we, we, I'm sure most of us in here could say this same thing. But there's not a day that goes by, man. Not a single day that goes by. I, every single one. I'm, listen, I'm just talking about me. I'm not, I'm not bragging and trying to make me look holy. I'm just saying, I'm dependent upon him. Alarm goes off. I go straight to, I start talking to Jesus and I go out there, I get my Bible, get some coffee and me and Jesus have coffee time together, man. And, and we, I talk to Jesus. Yeah, I talk to him. He talks to me. If you think that's weird, Hey, that's fine. I'm weird. I, I talk to Jesus. Yeah. Have I, have I ever seen him? No, I've never one time see him, but I talk to him out loud every day. And guess what? I've never seen him, but I believe that he's more real than the people that I can see sitting in front of me right now. Because this one that I've never seen has done more for me than anybody that I have ever seen with my physical eyes. This one that I've never shaken his hand yet. I've never looked into his eye. I will someday. And on that day, when I get to finally meet Jesus face to face, man. We're going to laugh. We're going to hug. We're going to share stories. You remember that time? Yeah, I remember. And we're going to talk, man. And I'm going to be with Jesus face to face. But guess what? I don't have to wait till I can see him to talk to him, walk with him, communicate with him. I can do that right now. And guess what? I do. And I know you guys do, too. But listen, we have to get to this place where we say, Jesus, you're everything. Your healer, your provider, your savior, your peace, your joy, your love, anything. You're, you're everything, Jesus. Without you, I, I don't even want to be in this place. Jesus, you're my everything. And the good news is he said, I'll never leave you, man. I'll never forsake you. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. I'm right here. I'm right here the whole time. And so we're just going to bring it down to this right here. Just like Jesus asked the 12, who do you say I am? He's asking you today. I know what everyone else says. I get it. He says this. He says that. I don't care about that. I'm asking you right now. Who do you say I am? I want to know. Who do, you, who do you say I am? And listen, you need to say you're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my all in all. Because he'll be whatever you need him to be. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and end right there. We'll go ahead and stand up together today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.